power on. Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver. And here is your host, Brian Sovereign. Yes, it is time for the gaming grid and i am the golden stallion the man of tomorrow savzu the rated r radio star i know i usually start a sovereign tech out with that but you're getting it on the gaming grid and when you get the gaming grid you know we get to have a little fun in fact you know something opening this baby up a piece of news that just dropped or well okay it doesn't appear to have happened yet but it sounds like kotaku is dying now, admittedly, I have covered Kotaku stories on this show in the past. I've covered them many times uh, throughout Sovereign Tech's history. Uh, but so much of gaming journalism is just pure shit. And really, you know, why don't we just talk about, you know, let's talk about the games. I mean, there's, there's certainly a gaming culture to comment on. There are certainly, you know... Uh, uh, but stick to, in many ways, I think, really gaming culture, right? Like, and and I and Kotaku was particularly egregious about this years ago. If you remember Gamergate, um, I am not saying that you know some of the more abstract things that were a part of Gamergate, you know, uh, uh, say. I don't know, death threats or, you know, teenage boys saying shitty things to other people and a lot of the other, I mean, I know some of it was very extreme, but I, I mean, I, I talked about Gamergate years ago when it happened on Sovereign Tech. And while I think that like what happened with Brianna Wu, a lot of that stuff was real, was legit. I think, a, I think things beyond that Basically, I think Kotaku saw, uh, you know, a, a goose laying the golden egg and they wanted more golden eggs. And I think they started to, I, I called it, you know, cheap heat or astroturf where they were creating a boogeyman. And not to say that some of this stuff isn't real, but like the, the extent to which Gamergate went and some of the other things, like I, I think, holy shit, did, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they were themselves creating, I mean, because how hard is it to create a Twitter account or any social media account today? And I think they were creating, you know, sock accounts and they were, and this is a problem with journalism in general. And I, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I mean, you can't believe a tweet. You generally don't know if that's a real person or not. If you're just picking off some random tweet, you have no idea, uh, you know, if anyone actually thinks that way. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you, you, you really don't. It could all be, I mean, you could have one person working for Gawker that could be running 20 accounts that are saying a bunch of horrible shit and they're basically creating news. You know, it's wag the dog. So I don't trust Kotaku for a second. I mean, I don't trust Gawker's properties for a second, even though I do read some stories from them. Um, but it's very, very rarely 
that I'm ever reading a story from a Gawker property of any kind, even though now it's not Gawker anymore, right? Like Univision owns all of it or whoever. It's very rare that I'm reading from them to agree with them. Most of the time it's like, okay, this is what these idiots think. And you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and I, I mean, and, and I've personally been attacked by, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't Kotaku. It was actually Jizmodo who wrote a little hit piece about my part in the blockchain community and you know, fuck them. I mean, I, when, when Hogan took them down, I mean, Hey, what the hell? Uh, I mean, th- there's a conversation to, to be had here in that, oh man, I, boy, I, you know, the uncomfortable things you want to say, I feel like, so Kotaku, basically what happened is, is I guess, A, uh, the, the ultimate owners of Kotaku started putting in some really egregious audio playing, auto playing, video auto playing, I mean, the audio would start right up everything ads in the sites. And even the writers, the journalists, quote unquote, for Kotaku were like, holy shit, this is horrible. What are they doing to us? Okay. And then there, you know, the hammer came down that, oh, this isn't making money, blah, blah, blah. And so now theory goes is that even though as of this recording, Kotaku is still putting out stories that basically they're, you know, I mean, everybody's seeing the writing on the wall that, that they're done. And there are other, I think, Deadspin, and there are some other uh, properties that all kind of fall under that, that are also uh, going to be getting axed. You know, I mean, no skin off my back. You know what I mean? Because again, yeah, there's lots of things to talk about within gaming culture, but then really, in my opinion, you know, bringing in other elements of culture and turning that into, you know, not nothing to do with video games, but and ma- turning that into video game news. Yeah, no. No, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not there. Okay. And I know that here I am talking about how there's a broader problem with journalism. There is, uh, but that's because this isn't just affecting Kotaku. This is affecting multiple, uh, you know, journalistic institutions on the internet. I mean, I can say that I, uh, all right, I'm just going to say it. Here we go. The bulk of the people that are looking for that kind of news probably don't have money. And so to think you're going to make money off of it, look, you know, back, back in the nineties, even the early aughts, you know, when you had remember electronic gaming monthly, you had, um, you know, game pro go down the list of them. If they didn't sell enough issues, fine. They didn't sell enough issues of whatever the hell was going on. Um, I don't think any of those magazines could have ever gotten away with putting out the kind of stories like these, these more broader cultural stories that Kotaku has been doing. And I mean, to say nothing of the billions of times that they've cried wolf like that, that, that nonsense they were talking about with super smash brothers, where there was some kind of insulting, uh, a slur in a song, which ended up not being true or whatever. I, I mean, none of that would have passed muster back then. Now, I mean, what killed magazines was news for free, but what's going to kill news for free is the fact that it's for free, <laughs> right? Like these sites are going to shut down. Like I don't see Polygon being long for the world. I mean, most of them make money off of uh, really native advertising from game uh, game dev houses paying them to promote their game or something. And they just don't tell you that it's native advertising. Okay. But 
you know, when it was a magazine, you just had to sell enough magazines. You didn't have to really pay for the ads or anything like that because you paid for the goddamn magazine. Okay. Um, you know, and like a, a magazine like Retro Gamer. Retro Gamer's doing great business these days, you know, because they are sticking with talking about the fucking games. You know, and yeah, they get into some of the culture. They talk about some of the hardware and stuff like this. But by and large, they're talking about the games. They're talking to developers. They're delivering that. And people will pay and pay attention to that kind of news. They do not care about, you know, some of these broader aspects. I mean, good on RetroGamer for being so, you know, so hot with what they do. But this whole thing, you know, with news sites that you don't have to pay for and come from ad impressions, I mean, like the, the ad, the ad, the ad funded website model. Okay. Where it's like banner ads and all this. I mean like that sooner or later, that's got to tank. That can't, that can't be, that's not sustainable whatsoever. And I mean, it really isn't. And well, Kotaku is kind of at the front of sites that are going to end up, you know, falling apart because of it, you know, or they have to change and they have to somehow become interesting and do shit like retro gamer. Uh, I mean, a lot of people have brought up and it's not unfair that it feels like, and this is part of the reason I do, you know, the gaming grid is because it's a show where I get to be, you know, happy and I get to talk about fun shit, right? I get to talk about video games because ultimately video games should be fucking fun. I mean, sometimes they get a little hot and bothered, you know, but, but by and large, I mean, it, it's, it's a place to, to, to talk about the good times. I mean, if there's something I don't like, sure. I can bring that up, but video game journalism is this weird place where it seems like the journalists don't like the industry. <laughs> like, and, and they don't like, I mean, and, and I guess in some ways I can't blame them. You know, if you have to report on one more call of duty, I mean, you know, fuck, I'd, I'd, I'd want to, <laughs> I'd want to stick my head in the sand too. But and I'd be enraged. I wouldn't do it in the first place. But um, but regardless, you know, I mean, these, you look at like on the social media accounts and even in uh, like the comment sections on these sites and these journalists in video gaming, I mean, they're downright hostile to video game players. I, I mean, it, it's, and, and the writing is, is very, I don't know, it's very nasty. And it's not a place that deserves that. You know, I, I really, I really don't think so. Uh, know your audience, you know, you, you're not going to write about a video game story that somehow has to do with Obama, right? When you know, your audience probably isn't anything like that. Like, no, <laughs> it just doesn't, it just doesn't click. So it's very strange. I, all I, you know, when I read this news about Kotaku, all I could think was is hot damn what I would give for an issue of game pro to just fall in my lap right now. And we're talking about somebody who me, I mean, I read, you know, I read retro gamer. I read plenty of, uh, you know, industry, uh, mags, uh, because I love magazines to this day. And anyway, it, it's, it's interesting, but certainly Kotaku is one of the larger video game, uh, uh you know, journalistic sites, uh, and to see it go down, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not sad about it. Uh, in fact, I mean, other people have brought up that actually they apparently, you know, they apparently have it on, on, uh, you know, good info, right. From a good source that 
the journalists, most of the journalists for, um, you know, like for Kotaku, but really for a lot of those different properties are not actually experts or they're like, they're say for Kotaku, they're not even really gamers. They're just journalists that they, that they hire out. And this does happen. I mean, I've seen it in the Bitcoin and blockchain space where, you know, they'll, they'll pay just whatever people out of whatever geographic area, uh, pennies to write these little stories. I mean, if, if they could have, if they really could have an AI write their stories for them, they absolutely would. So, you know, there's no passion there. There's no passion. And, and that's a shame because video games are all about passion or at least they're supposed to be. So anyway, um, that said, there's a little news, uh, about what's happening with, uh, Kotaku. We'll see how it really shakes out. Uh, I can't imagine someone would let a, such a big name in the gaming space, uh, go to waste, but you know, maybe it should maybe, uh, Hey, let's bring game pro back. Speaking of bringing things back, got a little update. Um, we are at the very end of October, 2019, and we were effectively promised gamers. Here I am. I'm going to be complaining a little bit. Well, anyway, I'll be happy when it's fucking out. <laughs> uh, we were promised and there was no region stipulation on this whatsoever. Uh, but you know, we live in the era of retro consoles being, uh, you know, some hotness and Capcom had their Capcom home arcade, which was a very exciting prospect. What was it? Some odd 16 games that it was going to have, I think. And of course the, really the crown jewel of the games that it's going to have. Now understand like the Capcom home arcade which I haven't heard any numbers on how the Sega Genesis mini is selling, but I don't know if it's doing well or not. I hope it's doing well uh, because again, I want that Saturn mini, but the Capcom home arcade, this was announced quite a few months ago, earlier in 2019. I mean, I've been really chomping at the bit to get my hands on it because the crown jewel is alien versus predator, which was never seen an official home release. Yes, you can play it on MAME. Okay. Um, but the Capcom home arcade is not just a mini con. In fact, they're not calling it mini at all because it ain't mini. The thing is huge. It is literally the, the Capcom logo spelled out with two joysticks on it, you know, and a bunch of buttons. And I mean, this is a real deal arcade, uh, double arcade stick with a console basically built into it. <laughs> okay. And, and it's brilliant and it fetches a some odd $200, um, price tag. Okay. Uh, you know, in that range, depending on where you buy it. And that's kind of the issue that we're going to get into here. Um, but I thought that it was very much worth it. It's also one that was going to have some internet connectivity where you could connect with leaderboards and that way you can compete and all of this, which I mean is a big deal for some of the other games on there, of course, like street fighter two turbo and, and so on. But I mean, there's a great selection of games here, dark stalkers. Uh, there's even a mega man game on there. Eco Fighters, which I, I love that game, uh, 1944. I mean, there, there's great ghouls and ghosts. There's great stuff. Okay. Uh, now it is the end of October. We were told it was going to come out like October 21st or 22nd, something like that. Now the date has been pushed back to November 8th of 2019, just to give an update on this. And I don't see hiding or hair of it coming out in the U S there is a listing for it on PlayAsia where you can get it, you know, from Asia. 
there is on the official Europe, the European Capcom store, there is a listing for it. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. And it says prices include VAT plus shipping costs. Uh, this thing costs $287 US dollars. Much higher than what we were effectively told. That's about $100 more than we were initially told. Again, that is including VAT taxes and, and shipping. But then that's the real rub here, isn't it? Is that, wait, why do I have to buy this from Europe? Why isn't it getting a U.S. release? It's very strange. Um, and I guess it can power through micro USB. So the power adapter, which you would have to change if it had a traditional one for Europe, uh, you would have to change if you, um, you know, bought it to get it shipped to the U.S. But with it just using a USB cable, that doesn't really matter because you can just plug that into anything. But I, I, I don't get it. And I'm looking up news about it. Nobody's asking, hey, where the fuck is this thing getting released in the U.S.? Can I please get this in the U.S.? Uh, you know, I want it. I'm ready for it. Let's do this. And we already, and, and there's a delay on it. Uh, I'm going to be curious if anybody actually ever gets one of these in their hands. I haven't even seen. And because November 8th is really just about a week away, more or less, a little over a week away. Um, I'm used to like, you know, the guys at angry video game nerd, you know, at Cinemasker or a whole slew of people on YouTube usually get like, they'll get the Genesis mini a good two, three weeks ahead of time. You know, they'll get review uh, versions of these things. No one's gotten a review version of this. Granted, I get it. It's a more premium product than a lot of those, but nobody's got their hands on this thing. And uh, yeah, I don't know what Capcom's doing. I'm going to assume it'll be real, but I wouldn't be surprised if that November 8th date ends up getting pushed back again. It, it really, it wouldn't shock me uh, as much as I don't uh, obviously want it to happen. But next to the TurboGrafx-16 Mini, I mean, this is the more exciting release recently for retro consoles. I also haven't seen, I mean, there have been little updates here and there. Uh, I think end of this year, we were supposed to have the full-size uh, C64, not the mini version, but the full-size C64. I mean, I want that. I'm okay not having it because the C64 Mini works so well. Um, but that also seems to be on delay. But this is a shame because this is, again, other than the TurboGrafx-16 Mini, uh, this is the most exciting, you know, console action, in my opinion, to come, you know, to, to be announced in a good while. Uh, and so I'm disappointed that, that it doesn't seem to have a U.S. release whatsoever. Maybe it'll end up coming out later. I mean, that does happen. Like the aforementioned C64 Mini, it came out months, months ahead of time. Uh, this would be in 2018. It came out in May of 2018 in Europe, and then it wouldn't come out in the States until October. Uh, of 2018. So maybe we have to wait a few months, but it'd be nice if somebody would at least tell us, you know, uh, and Kotaku's not talking about it. So it, they wouldn't talk about it anyway. So fuck them. It's not like, uh, you know, it's not like we don't know because all oh, shit Kotaku's dead. No, we just, we don't know. Uh, so I wish there was some news on that, but it, it's not to be had right now. But, you know, like I said, let's, uh, you know, why don't, why not talk about the games? Well, let's talk about games. In fact, got this in from a, uh, via Twitter, uh, from a great Zomi One Underground member, actually. Uh, and that is at the Internet Archive, which archive.org, big fan of that site. Um, they have just uploaded another 2,500 DOS games that you can play right on the website now. Uh, 
let's be clear here. So they're running basically a uh, uh, emulator software called Exodus or Exodus if you want to go or Exodus if you want to go there. But I think it's supposed to sound like Exodus, uh, which is clever. Damn clever name. <laughs> Uh, and they are all getting uploaded independently. Now, understand that the Exodus project or Exodus project is because some of the so there's 2,500 games that were posted. OK, there's a link in the show notes if you want to check them all out. I mean, here's the funny thing. Like we can say, oh, shit, how come the Capcom home arcade isn't coming out? It's not like there's a lack of games to play, folks, <laughs> and more or less for free for that matter. Um because, I mean, here's 2,500 that you can rock. But the thing is, is that not all of them work. Uh, Exodus doesn't, as a back end, isn't... I think there are some games... Again, I don't know where to place the blame, and it's not really that important. Some of these games don't exactly work, but their overall code is all there, which is really, really nice. Um, this is just brilliant work, and that you can play them right, right through a web browser on you know, basically any any platform, uh, that, you know, that, that can handle the controls for it. Uh, and Exodus does a great job of handling, like, the mouse, which will be, frankly, one of the bigger ways that you would interact with a lot of these games. And there's some real gems on here. Uh, in fact, a couple of my favorites are the cannon fodder games. Uh, these are absolute classics. Uh, and I know there was a version of cannon fodder that was released for the Game Boy Color, and all I can, I, I'm like trying to remember what that was like. And I think back to it and I just remember thinking that it sucked, but the original cannon fodder, especially the first one, I played that over and over and over again. I remember first getting it on shareware and playing it on my 386. I played that game so much. It's very simple. You're like these four little army guys and you have this large group of them, but you could, you only handle like four or five at a time. And you're just clicking them all around to do these missions, you know, and they can throw little grenades and they can do all this business, uh, you know, and, and you have to maybe, you know, take out all the enemies within it. But it's all done in a very tongue in cheek fashion, almost like you're it's not like the army men games, but it's pretty close to that. And I mean, it's one hit, you know, if one of your guys gets hit, they're done. And, you know, if you lose your entire platoon, you've got to, you'll get four more guys that you can send in there and eventually you do run out of them completely. They go up in rank and kind of get better if you can keep them alive. Uh, I mean, but again, you got to keep in mind the tongue in cheek attitude of all this. And it's just, there's such simplistic, clever games, these kind of squad based games. Uh, I'm thinking of like the breach games, or even there was a Star Trek game called away team. I miss these kinds of games, these squad-based games. I, I thought that that was such a, and where they have like more of an isometric view uh, within the games. I always thought those were really cool. And I'm sure you can find a lot of those uh, on the Internet Archive and play them. Um, but Cannon Fodder are definitely some of the better ones. Uh, you know, th those games immediately stood out to me. But I was looking through and I mean, there's just, there's so many great games available to play. And it is, it's amazing. You can just play them totally for free right in your web browser. And they're basically abandonware, half of them, you know, so it's not like you're breaking any laws and playing most of them, even like Wipeout, which I, I didn't even realize Wipeout was on PC. I mean, of course, everybody remembers it for PlayStation, for the PlayStation one. Um, but I, I don't recall it being on, on PC. So, that, you know, that was a, that was a very nice touch. But, yeah, I'm actually just scrolling through here. There's Secret of Monkey Island. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. Um, keep going. Keep going. Never, never have dead air when you're recording. Oh, there's Night Trap. 
shit, rock night trap. Um, I, so a lot of these, I mean, obviously there's so many, I can't try them out. It's interesting that there's a version of Microsoft Flight, Sim, uh, Flight Simulator on here. That's uh, that's pretty slick. Uh, Loom, there's a LucasArts classic for you. Uh, that, well worthwhile uh, to play. I mean, some of these games you can get like on GOG, right? But I mean, it's so nice to just have a website you can go to and boom, have a great time. And I think DOS games, DOS games are so, so many of them are so weird, you know, because, and the, the reason that they're allowed to be weird, first off, is that there was not a, like, common code base, really, uh, to, you know, you, you could come up with a lot of, you know, ingenious and take a lot of, uh, take advantage of your computer hardware in a lot of different ways, as to where, say, with the console, you know, you've got one code base, you've got one hardware configuration and you, then that's all you've got. And that's all you get to take advantage of, even though you could pull some interesting tricks than that, that's what you got. But the thing that really makes it weird is more the controller, right? So with say a Nintendo or Genesis or something like that, you have very specific control schemes, unless you want to go into the business of creating a custom controller. And I don't even want to know what that ends up costing a company to try and do, even though some did. Uh, but with DOS games, you've got a gigantic keyboard and a mouse, and you have all these different ways that you can interact with what's happening on the screen that it allowed for some very strange and very deep games that I think to this day, many of their, much of their style and uniqueness and oddity hasn't been replicated. Uh, so there's there, you know, you're in for a trip, you know, you, you're never going to play something the same way twice, <laughs> unless you just play all first person shooters or something. Uh, when you get into uh, a lot of these DOS games. So I definitely recommend checking this out. There is a lot of fun to be had here. I mean, and I only mentioned, uh, you know, a couple games uh, in this whole list. I mean, you're just, you could spend your lifetime playing all this stuff. So do check that out. Link is in the show notes. Of course, you can just go to archive.org for all of it. Now, I was going to do a little bit of a review um, of what's going on with my Nintendo Switch. I already actually talked about it during a uh, Zomi 1 Underground Q&A recently. But, um, I mean, basically, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just, I'm still loving the fuck out of the thing. Uh, <laughs> In fact, I'd said the game I'm playing now pretty much all the time is uh, Power Rangers Battle for the Grid. Such an insane, great little fighter. I mean, uh, awesome, awesome game. God, do I love that shit. In fact, let me open this baby up right now. Been a lot of great, you know, it's amazing how many sales that the Nintendo store has uh, for the uh, for the Switch. Um, but I picked up, in fact, the latest Galaxy, uh, Galaxy of Fire game is... On Switch, was it Manticore? Uh, I couldn't believe that that's available. I mean, there's so much great stuff. I, I get it that there was a time where, you know, if you were early on with the Switch, that as soon as, like, a new game came out, you know, people would just scoop it right up. It, but now it's gotten, like, so many games are on there. You just, and most of them are digital. Uh, I honestly, I'll tell you, so I haven't really bought much in the way of physical carts. Um, for the switch, not that I'm against that. I think that's fine. I, you know, actually this brings up, this does bring up a quick subject. Okay. The thing with physical cartridges for the switch is that a lot of games, they still update and you still have to download an update. So to often play like actually for power Rangers battle for the grid, you can't, 
you know, I, I guess maybe the concept for a lot of people is, I mean, I understand there's a couple arguments for why you want physical cartridges. One of them is if you switch games between switches, right? That way everybody can kind of play it. Like I get that. Okay. Uh, that's probably the best argument for it. But like the idea that, oh, well, what if, uh, you know, I don't have internet or something's down or whatever, you know, like Nintendo servers go down in the future, kind of like what, or they get turned off like they did for the Wii uh, or pick your system. You know, those arguments don't hold because I mean, yeah, you'd still be able to play at least some of the game, but I mean, these games get so many updates. Almost every time I power on my switch, it feels like just about every game I've got gets an update of some kind. Uh, and those aren't getting loaded onto the cartridge, you know? They're not getting rewritten onto the cartridge or anything like that. So, at least not as far as I know. If that's happening, let me know and correct me, please. But I don't think that's happening at all. Um, so, yeah, the arguments for physical cartridges, I don't get it. The only thing that I can imagine, or the, the reason that I think physical cartridge games are such a big deal still, even for developers, is that it's a way for, especially later on, you know, like after a game has already come out in the eShop, it's a way for it to get exposure. It's a way for it to get seen again, you know, because in the eShop, games just disappear. You know, you're in the you're in the featured, maybe, or you're in the new releases for a week at best. And then you basically have to put your game on sale because otherwise, and, and I mean, there's so many games for sale. You have to put your game on sale. Otherwise, you know, it, it basically, unless it's a major franchise game, you know, like a Zelda or, you know, something by Nintendo or whatever, uh, nobody's looking, you know, no, nobody cares. Like it, it, the game might as well not exist unless somebody tells you, Hey, you should play this game. But like we were talking about earlier with game journalism, it's abundantly clear that the only games that get talked about are games that where the, the, the dev house or the game company, you know, whoever, uh, has come out and paid say the, the, the news site to feature their game, whether they tell you that they're doing that or not, that's what they're doing. So it, it, it's ugly out there, but I, I think that's, that might be like one of the biggest arguments and why these companies are dealing with limited run games and, you know, these other little boutique, uh, uh, distribution game distributors, because, you know, where they, they sell games physically, because limited run games isn't the only one. But the reason they're doing that is because it gives their games a second lease on life where people like pay attention to it. And it's fascinating that as much as I am a guy who, I mean, understand, I didn't buy into the go, go in all digital. I argued against that for a very long time, even, you know, even 15 years ago when Steam, you know, was just becoming a thing and so on. I was still arguing against it then. I didn't get into, I'd probably still buy physical only games. If it wasn't for when I bought Duke Nukem Forever, what was that, 2010? When I bought that, even when you bought the game, the physical copy of the PC game, it basically just gave you a Steam code and it still downloaded it from Steam servers. Even though you had the fucking DVD in your hand that you can install it from. It still forced you to download from Steam. And so I was like, well, fuck it. If they're just going to force you, like, you know, how, how can I stop this? It, it was oh, so fucking bad. So, I mean, I, I love physical versions of games, but I mean, I think we're running into where we're seeing the negative returns of everything being, you know, all in digital eShops, right? Because these games effectively disappear. Uh, 
you know, as to where if, if you had physical cartridges, at least somebody could walk into a GameStop, look around, and maybe your, your game would still get some kind of life on it. Uh, though, admittedly, another thing that makes physical copies popular is that you can buy used copies. Um, you know, you can get games for even cheaper than an eShop sale. So I get that attraction um, as well. But anyway, mainly I get, you know, I, I haven't really purchased much in the way of physical cartridges. It just doesn't really matter to me because, again, to play the complete version of the game, you're going to have to get downloads anyway, okay, from servers and that aren't on the physical cartridge. So to some degree, the physical cartridge doesn't matter to me. Um, but anyway, I, I am enjoying the fuck out of this thing. I mean, I'll, I'll just say that much. Tetris 99, having a great time with that. Uh, you know, Link's Awakening, all of that. I do have Breath of the Wild. I, I, I turned it on. <laughs> okay. I didn't start playing through it yet, but I turned it on. And I mean, I instantly get just the, the, the absolute magic around that game. It's really something. Um, I'll get into that, you know, in the future and maybe I'll review these games, uh, you know, as, as we go. Um, but anyway, so all of that said, uh, the Nintendo Switch is still, boy, it's a hell of a time. That, that's that's the bottom line there. And I will, again, I will be reviewing more uh, as we go along. Or as I go along, you know, getting through a lot of these games that I've really been been dying uh, to play. Um, you know, that reminds me, speaking of games coming out, speaking of Steam, EA games are going to be coming out on Steam again. In fact, the new Star Wars game, Jedi Fallen Order, is going to be available on Steam. Wow, talk about shit failing right and left. Going through a learning process with all kinds of things. If you listen to this week's uh, Wednesday Q&A on Zomia 1 on the Underground, you, you, you know what I mean. Like streaming services, tanking, every, man. It's going to be a different world in a couple of years. I, <laughs> I feel that coming. Anyway, speaking of a different world, got a question in to the gaming grid from uh, my brother, whoo, Robin Freebeard, and my co-host on many a show. Uh who I know is, is, you know, as hardcore gamer as I am. So right on. Uh, anyway, I'm going to read his question here. Got, this was commented on through the Podbean app and he commented right on the, uh, the, the last episode from last month, um, of the gaming grid. And, uh, here we go. Let's read it. Hey brother, got another gaming question for you. There have been many times in the past when gaming journalists have claimed that PC gaming was dead in the wake of new console generations being released. But do you think that Windows 10 might actually manage to kill it for real? Uh, not only is Windows 10 a mess, but DirectX 12 is probably the most unstable release in the history of the API. Stanley, breaking in for a second on that. That's so true. DirectX 12 is a clusterfuck. But I mean, let's be clear here. Like, there's a reason that with DirectX, that like DirectX 9C gets installed almost instantly before they install any other version of DirectX because, yeah, I mean, I think that's like, you know, that's the old stable. So <laughs> anyway, uh, I mean, there's other reasons for that too, but but certainly that's part of it. Uh, yeah, DirectX 12, total mess. Reading on. Of course, there's plenty of blame to go around from NVIDIA's skyrocketing GPU prices to the majority of AAA, still, uh, AAA games still tacitly refusing to support gaming on Linux, uh, not to mention Valve's shamefully abysmal failure to make SteamOS a viable alternative to Windows. 
Granted, I don't play as many triple any many new AAA games on the PC as I used to, but I'm still looking forward to a couple forthcoming games like Cyberpunk 2077 and Bloodlines 2. Stanley breaking in, I'm excited for both of those as well. Uh, but I just don't see how the PC is going to be a viable and affordable platform for these kinds of games in the future if status quo continues. There are certainly solutions, Linux and Vulkan, but the gaming industry seems literally dead set on circling the drain with Microsoft. As always, would love to hear your thoughts on the subject. So, all great points, as always. Rob's brilliant. Um, yeah, so, and, and he and I have talked about this on certain shows, where, um, you know, the, the idea that, like, Linux, or, yeah, it is Linux, but where Steam, where Valve had, you know, they were pushing, because they were afraid of what Microsoft is trying to do with Windows 10, which was like say the Microsoft store or at the time was the windows store where you would get, you know, that's where you were going to get games from and all this stuff. Now let's be clear here. Microsoft is, and, and so, well, anyway, when that was going on, okay. And we thought like you were supposed to be downloading UWP apps Win 32 wasn't going to be supported anymore. Blah, 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 blah. At that time, you know, Gabe Newell at, 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 uh, you know, at Valve was sweating. He was like, Oh, this, this is not good. Like steam is not going to be, pretty much even welcome on Windows 10, so we're going to have to go with an alternative. And effectively, Valve, you know, came out with with their own version of Linux that was called SteamOS, and that was going to be the solution. Now, that has gone pretty much nowhere, okay? And Steamboxes, which were supposed to be like a console version of a Windows PC or of a, of a, a gaming PC, uh, those died a very slow Actually, it wasn't that slow. Those died a very slow death. Um, I have never really seen anybody using a... I mean, they, they spent... I don't want to know how much R&D money they spent on the Steam controller, the gamepad made by, by Valve. Uh, they had the two weird, like, touchpad thumb things. It was, it, it was interesting. That's why I say I know they spent a lot on R&D for that. Uh, but I haven't seen anybody like that. That's their go-to and that's what they want to rock with. Most people I've seen have an Xbox one controller or something to that effect. That's what they use. Um, I'm not knocking the steam controller. It, it looks like some brilliant engineering, but there you go. So while recently or in the past year and a half or so, valve has released where Basically, Steam can run with some degree of emulation. Games that are originally only ported for Windows, but can now run in Linux if it's running on the Steam platform. They did do that, but even that, there wasn't a lot of hullabaloo, and it feels like a half measure, right? So, Valve dropped the ball with SteamOS. Microsoft also dropped the ball <laughs> with the Microsoft Store, where they are completely backpedaling out of that. And I mean, they're running as hard as they can. Not to say it was a bad idea. SteamOS wasn't a bad idea either. Maybe it wasn't their time or it just didn't get enough of, you know, enough people jumping on it, whatever the situation was. Okay. So both have effectively failed. And here's the problem because both have failed. That's really my response to Rob here is that is Windows 10 actually going to kill the gaming PC? Um, it really could because SteamOS failed and the Microsoft Store failed. 
which was supposed to, which is originally what SteamOS was response to in the first place. So when both initiatives have failed, oh shit. Now, maybe Microsoft doesn't really care because they're all going, they're all in on Project X Cloud, right? Where it is effectively an Xbox uh, being run on servers. You know, it's cloud gaming, right? Like like Google Stadia, um, go down the list of them. PlayStation has it as well. Um, or even effectively, that's really like Nintendo Switch Online. When you play NES and SNES games on on Switch Online, that's really what you've got there is cloud gaming. Effectively, uh, I mean it's it's not that simple as it would be with Stadia, but because you can still load such simple games, you know, into the basically into the RAM of the Switch. Okay, so it's not exactly the same, but it's close enough. And I think in the future, when you start playing like GameCube games and other things like we've theorized on Switch Online, those are not going to get stored onto your your Switch. Those are going to be, you know, fully played in the cloud, probably. Uh, Or same for whatever later versions of games. Anyway. So the the gaming industry, which Rob and I have both talked about, I've theorized heavy on, that you're going to have the split where you're going to have the retro consoles... And then you're going to have the cloud consoles. And ultimately, that's what you're going to have. I mean, even though with the PlayStation 5, we we didn't get into any of the news around the PlayStation 5, but the PlayStation 5 does have a 4K drive in it, meaning one that can play, you know, 4K uh, discs, right? Just like previous generations have had a Blu-ray and a DVD and so on. Um, So Sony's not completely backed away or, or gone all in on cloud gaming. But I think everybody else is. Sony's in a bad position because they are having so many financial issues with so many failures. They shut down PlayStation View. That's their their TV streaming service. That's getting shut down. Uh, you know, they their phones never really took off. Um, the parts of the business, you know, Sony Pictures has never really survived that hack. In fact, I think that's the whole reason they were even willing to deal with Disney slash Marvel with Spider-Man in any real way, because they just, they've been in financial ruin ever since that, that whole situation went down. Um, I mean, there's parts of Sony that are, you know, Sony's a huge company in Japan. Like it's an insurance company in Japan, not just an electronics company. That's what it started out as certainly, but it's so much more kind of like Samsung in Korea. Uh, And so in Japan, you, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's parts of Sony that are still, fu- you know, very successful, but they have very little to do with electronics. Okay. So Sony's in a precarious position right now where they don't have the resources that Google has for cloud gaming, that Microsoft has for cloud gaming. Um, and they don't have the diehard fan base and they really don't, they don't have the diehard fan base that Nintendo will always have and that Nintendo has had since the 80s. You know, there's just people, there's there's a few million people around the world that no matter what Nintendo puts out, they're going to buy, you know, because it's fucking Nintendo. And, and, and hey, I'm kind of one of those guys. So I'm not, you know, I'm not insulting anyone here. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so, Sony's in a rough spot. Um, we know that overall and we've talked about this on Sovereign Tech to some degree, that overall, Microsoft is leaving Windows behind. And without Windows, you know, where is the PC gaming? 
it's not really there. I mean, you could have kind of your your weird games like League of Legends and some other ones that that work independently of any of these uh, uh, gaming platforms on PC like Steam or Origin or GOG or whatever, where they have like their own installer. Uh, or, you know, Battle.net and things like that. And I could see where they could pivot very easily to Linux if they haven't already. Some of them have. Um, But I don't... While PC gamers are one of the most... What's the word I'm looking for? Affluent, okay, uh, demographics in the world. And they are. I mean, they, they put so much money into this stuff. Um... And I think the industry overall can survive on that. But if the underlying like OS that they've been dealing with for so long and that they tailored to, to such a degree, if that disappears, I just I don't see the master PC race jumping on Linux. I just I don't know that that's ever really going to happen. They should and they should get ready for it. And Steam should be doubling down on this right now. But I don't know that that's really going to happen. And what I see happening more is that you know, if you can, I mean, seriously, this is where I said, where I've said over the past few gaming grids, if Google Stadia works, okay, if it works well enough, who the fuck is going to spend $2,000, $3,000, $5,000, $10,000 on gaming PC equipment when you can play, as long as you got a good enough internet connection, when you can play the latest AAA game for less than 100 bucks? you know, and a subscription service on Google Stadia in 8K at that, in 8K, if you have an 8K TV, which you shouldn't, but if you do, well, whatever, it's nice knowing you. So, (laughs) I mean, it's a no-brainer. And I'm not saying it's a good thing. You know, I've, I've applauded the Master PC race for a long time because they were always the bulwarks against this quote-unquote cloud future. And, yeah, I, I sadly, I think they're going to go the way of the Dodo. I, I, I think that that PC gaming, cloud gaming, is going to take that over, um, ultimately. And, I mean, PC gaming is still going to be a thing, and I think it always will be a thing. And the reason it will always be a thing, though, isn't for AAA games. It's going to be for the real indie games, like Dwarf Fortress and, and you know, uh, games that you've been that you've been playing forever that you want to continue to play. I mean, no, no console has the back catalog like a PC does, you know. And you just load on an emulator and away you go. Nothing's ever going to kill that. But the master PC race, you know, playing AAA games. Even though often the PC releases of a lot of these games are often still the best versions you can get, regardless of console or whatever. Yeah, I, I get the sense that that's, that's going to be going away. I really think that's going to be going away. And just, I mean, to speak to, and I want to be careful with this, kind of like what I was talking about earlier about Kotaku, but just to speak to some cultural forces that we're dealing with overall and political and economic forces that we're dealing with, um, Nintendo is very smart to have a mobile gaming option. Uh, they are very, I think, ahead of the curve to, you know, to, to have like this all-in-one, all-inclusive system like the Switch. Uh, because I, I think that, well, let's just put it this way, that's going to be the affordable option for a lot of people. Um, 
you know, and, and like maybe the only way that they could, they could really game. Um, I think Sony again is in a lot of trouble. I think that PC gaming is in a lot of trouble. Uh, and you know, yeah, you, you can play AAA games at lower resolutions and everything, even, even on a quote unquote gaming laptop, even though most gaming PC players will laugh at you when you say that. Um, but yeah, that ruin that, that takes away the specialness and the eliteness show eliteness, shall we say, that is what makes gaming, you know, gaming or PC gaming viable. Um, so yeah, I, I, frankly, I, I do see it kind of going away. And you know, the funny thing is, is that man, when you, when you play, it, it's pretty remarkable when you play the 2016 doom, even though I think that, you know, twin stick controls are just never going to be as solid or as efficient, uh, or as precise as, you know, keyboard and mouse, just never going to be. But when you play doom 2016 on like on a Nintendo switch, suddenly you go, Hey, you know, I could get used to this. I mean, and, and, and that ease of just turning on a system and, you know, popping on the game and everything. Um, I think that's going to be an attractive proposition for a lot of people really, really going forward. I mean, there's so much to talk about with this, you know, but yeah, I, I hate to say it. I mean, I think game journalism, gaming journalism was trying to kill off the PC for a long time because they were effectively getting paid by Sony and whoever else, uh, you know, to say that it's the only part that makes any sense to me. Um, but now yeah, I feel like Microsoft is backing away from Windows, and I just don't know if everybody's going to be able to make the jump to Linux. I think most people, if Windows ever really dies, most people are just going to go buy a Chromebook. And a Chromebook is going to do what for gaming? You know, I mean, get this, like a Chromebook, very cheap, will be a great gaming system because of Google Stadia, right? I'm not saying that that's how I want things to be, I'm just saying that it's going to be. So it's just, it's going to be impractical for so many people. And, and ultimately, you know, who's going to, it's just like the 4k market. Really? Who cares? The average person doesn't even know. I mean, they, they barely know what a 1080p screen is. Do you think that they are ever going to care about, oh, it's got, you know, 4k and eight. I mean, they, they don't, they don't really know, you know, and, and they're not going to put down the money for a PC to do that so that they could play Doom Eternal or something like that. No, they'll just, they'll get a Google Stadia and if it works well enough, they're going to be happy-go-lucky with that and they're going to have a great time. And, you know, bake in some YouTube features and then suddenly people have an entire social community uh, or an entire community, entire an entire social club around their gaming device that'll smoke anything where this is something that PC gaming is failing on hard as well. Steam has done nothing to improve their, their chat not really to improve their, you know, their chat system to have some kind of community. GOG is way behind the times, unfortunately, to really be able to jump on that. And, you know, and that's an important thing for some people. And yeah, that's just another element where gaming or PC gaming could have been well ahead of the curve and it's not taking advantage of it, you know? So yeah, I, I do feel, I, I guess all of this is to say that, you know, when Windows goes down, I feel like PC gaming will be effectively dead. And it's funny because, I, again, I don't think Microsoft cares. You know, Microsoft's got their Project Scarlet 
Xbox coming out and all this shit, right? And and they have X Cloud and everything. They don't. They really don't care if if Windows just fails. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's ever going to be a day where they don't support Windows anymore. So again, the retro gaming community on PC will always have a place. You know, will always be there. But this idea of having AAA titles jump on all that. I mean, just look at the fact what I mentioned earlier. The fact that EA is going to start putting games on Steam. It's because, I mean, they're already running into the problem where you have all these different platforms. Uh, who's who's the company? Um, fuck. With Elite Dangerous. Epic? Is it Epic? They're, they're, they're running into, they're shutting down their gaming store. Discord already shut down their gaming store. You have so many, I mean, like all of these just like with the streaming services, you had all these gaming platforms propping up on PC and they're all going away now because it didn't work, you know, and maybe ultimately it's because people are, I mean, I got to tell you, I pick up, I pick up my switch and I start playing my games. I don't even think about my laptop. I don't even think about my gaming PC and I, and I, you don't even want to, I've said it. You don't even want to fucking know how many games I have on steam. I mean, it's four digits easy that I have half of three quarters, five, I don't know, eight tenths of those I've never even played, you know, but I pick up my switch and it's, you know, on and I do the gaming and away we go and it's distraction free. And it's like, fuck yeah, let's do this. I mean, that's that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I don't see it. I, I really, I feel like, I mean, I'm always going to have some kind of machine that can play GZ doom, you know, Dune 2, not Doom 2, Dune, D-U-N-E, Dune 2, uh, and, and a couple other games that I'm just always going to want to be able to play, and that's always, that's going to be the way that I'm going to be able to play it. But these streaming services, I mean, fuck, we were just talking about it on archive.org, you can play all the, you know, you can play literally, I mean, they just, they added 2,500 games, they already had thousands up there, okay, for, for DOS, you know, you can play all those classic DOS games right on the website and everything, I mean, yeah, nobody's going to care. That's, that's the direction I see things going. Um, and I am looking, I'll admit it, myself, I'm looking for simplicity in my gaming experience. I think that's why I like the C64 Mini so much. And, uh, you know, in a lot of these retro consoles, because it's just you plug it in, boom, and away you go, and you're done. You don't even have to think about it. I mean, I've got a GameCube sitting next to me now. Why? Because it's fucking great to just pop up a GameCube and, you know, turn it on, and away you go, and you start playing. And, you know, I mean, the PC has become a, Windows 10 is such a monstrosity, such a mess that, yeah, I mean, just in its very existence and its presentation, you don't even want to use it. You don't even want to turn the computer on that has Windows. It's that bad. So, yeah, I I think, I think you're right, Rob. I I think you're on, or I think you're on to something there. You didn't say whether or not you believed it necessarily, or I mean, you did, you said that, that it's, it's such a mess. Um. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that Windows 10 will effectively kill PC gaming, and I don't think Microsoft has a problem with that at all. I, and and I don't know what Steam's going to do. Uh, maybe this is why, you know, I, I th- this is a little bit... Of, all right, we're, we're, I'm going to finish up with this thought. I'm going to leave you with a conspiracy theory here. Okay. Now, and, and look, I'm not even saying ultimately this is that this is bad for gaming. Okay. I mean, because again, the, the gaming, you know, the gaming community, the gaming culture, subculture is so large now that yeah it's it's splitting it's forking off you know into different directions but i'm gonna leave you with this conspiracy theory the amount of sales that now i mean when when it, like i was saying earlier when a game goes on sale on the nintendo switch and you can ask the developers they'll tell you 
they do that to get your eyes on the game. Okay, because otherwise it just disappears. Now, I'm sure some of that is also happening with GOG, Steam, and so on. Okay. Um, and I imagine that's part of it. But the other part that I think is actually going on is I think Valve is trying to make as... I think a lot of these platforms right now are trying to make as much money as they fucking can because they know that this whole thing is going to tank. You're going to have a, a second video game crash because as we've talked about in the gaming grid before, the game development cannot sustain the billion dollar budgets that it requires games to make the games or they think it requires. I don't think it does, but they think it requires. And then they have to make that back. There just there aren't enough people on the planet to support this top heavy crazy budgets in these AAA games that's going to fall over that cannot last that that and i think that's also probably why ea is running to putting games on steam because they can't make enough money and they know there's pc gamers still out there for now they can't make enough money on origin you know and that's why i say it's more than just getting people's eyes on games and with PC gaming, it's get it's it, it's something else, and I think that they know that this plat or they they feel that this platform is effectively going to die, or the cloud services are going to take over, whatever, and so they want to make as much money as they can, and that's why they have a sale basically every day, and that's what's going on. So that's a little bit of a conspiracy theory for you, something to think about. But we're gonna wrap this up again. Ultimately, look, as a gamer, I'm happy as shit. I have my PS2, got my GameCube here, got my Switch, my 3DS. I mean, I got so many games to fucking play that no matter what happens to PC gaming, I ain't sweating. You know, I'm not I'm not, not worried about it at all, and there's plenty of games that have been out. I mean, you know, video games have been out. For, this is a decade's run. There's plenty to play from the past, and they're still solid, and they're still great. You know? So if, if it all tanks, hey, fine, whatever. Shit's on sale. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so that'll be it for this episode of The Gaming Grid for October 2019. Uh, I did plan on doing a couple episodes for this month because there's so much gaming news to talk about, but we'll get it in over the next few days. We'll wrap this one up. Gaming Grid, signing off. I'll see you on the other side. Woo! Game over. <laughs>